to the Zenial Dome with me, Essex Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. This is the podcast about Xennials, that's those born between 1977 and 1985, or to put it another way, those born between the release of Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols and Bananarama by Bananarama. Has anyone mixed those two songs? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. The ultimate Xennial Yeah, track. we could yeah. have it as an Easter egg on our Xennial compilation CD. Yes. Oh, right. We, we need to explain that right from the bat. And actually, let, let's do this at the start because that's not a bad idea. Um, at the end of last week's episode, we were discussing the idea of releasing an album of tracks for Xennials. Um, we mm-hmm. want to do... I mean, it's, it's basically the best idea either of us have ever had. Oh, it's a had. great idea because I would say the only thing that remains of Friends Reunited, the website, is the albums that still appear in charity shops (laughs) so um because we have a myspace page and because myspace is constantly encouraging you to put songs on your myspace page we're looking for songs we can put there and actually those could be two great examples to kick us off something off never mind the bollocks and something off bananarama by bananarama so if you've got any ideas, send us an email to thezennialdome at hotmail.com or send us a message on MySpace because um, we're there and MySpace is not busy. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, I, I've i been struggling to put a profile photo up on our MySpace page for weeks. Like one week, it was com- constantly loading this photo for like seven hours. It was, it was just awful. And... Usually you'd think, oh God, that's that's quite detrimental to the brand. But actually, I ha- I haven't done anything about it still. And I think we're fine. Well, what I would say is it's very on brand for MySpace to be recreating <laughs> the dial-up experience. For you to sit there that long and trying to upload a photograph. I think that's, I think we've yeah. absolutely nailed it, to be fair. It's like, um, <laughs> it's like one of those museums where you sort of live in the... You get to experience the actual time. I, I like to think that on my deathbed, I'll just check it one more time, <laughs> just just to see, just to see if it's gone up. <laughs> we should crack on because we've got a fantastic episode today with a, a, a really, really funny stand-up comedian, comedy producer, comedy director. It is Stuart Laws. So Stuart um, is a very busy guy. So he's directed and produced for loads of, of well-known um, comedians. So he directed Ed Gamble's Blood Sugar stand-up special for Amazon Prime and also James Acaster's repertoire shows for Netflix and his Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999 show. Yeah, it's um, it's a really fun episode. We seem to cover an awful lot of ground. There's so much stuff in it. Um, This was a lot of fun. This is 1984 and Turtle Canyon Comedy, that's the name of his production company's Stuart Lutz. Your kind of on stage persona wears a gilet or yeah, a, bod- yeah. a body warmer, as we used to call it back in the day. Yeah. Um, and that has kind of airs of like Michael J. Fox in Back yes. to the Future. Is that where it's from? As in, uh, is that who you aspire to be? No, I, I thought it looked ridiculous. It was my th- <laughs> and like I was told by a producer years ago, it's like you're. Uh, you're not like a normal like jeans and t-shirt comedian, which used to be like a descriptor term. Sort of, you go on, you do your observational stuff, and everyone's like, "Yeah, it's a bloke down the pub sort of vibe." You're a bit weirder, so you need to tell the audience early on, 
that you're weird without saying you're weird, just so their brains sort of reset. And then one time I just saw this uh, gilet for uh, age 10 to 11. And I was like, that's funny. I'll try that on. And it looks so stupid. But then when you do gigs in like Soho to like comedy club for kids and all of the parents are there with their kids and they're all wearing gilets, you just think, oh, they think I'm one of them. No, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking the piss. This looks stupid. This is the most stupid item of clothing that's ever been invented. But that's, for a man. But, <laughs> I know there's been some pretty wacky ones for the ladies. But then that's not true because for a, for a girl, for someone who was a young girl in the 80s, for me, like I loved Michael J. Fox. I really yes. fancied him in Back to the Future. I still do, even though it's probably wrong now. Um, so for me, I associated that with him and how cool he was and that yes. all the girls would want to be with a man who wears a gilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the man. Oh, all the men want one. All the ladies yeah. want to be inside one. <laughs> I remember the adverts for gilets. Big gilet. Started paying for adverts on TV. Before we get going, we want to find out... Uh, the phrase we've used is find out if you bleed, Zeniel. So we've got some questions okay. just to Great. work out where you stand in this uh, rather nebulous category. Uh, did you hit siblings over the head with a cushion while playing Mallet's Mallet? <laughs> no. Oh, I think that was very slightly... I think I watched it. I think my sister was maybe too young, so she's a year and a half or two years younger than me. So I think it passed me by. Did you buy anything in the Woolworths closing down sale? Yeah. <laughs> no, because I'm not. Um, I am not a sentimentalist, and so it was like, yeah, fine, get rid of it. <laughs> but you didn't use it as an opportunity to pick up a bargain or two. Yeah, but I think by that time we were too old to pick up a bargain at Woolworths, right? No, it's the where I first bought my very first uh, tape single. Ah, which was while well, we're here. Uh, Spice Girls wannabe, right? I mean, that's better than the old. So that's yeah. That's, that's what that brand. that was ninety six, I guess. I think yeah, yeah ninety six. Yeah. First time with my own money, went in, picked up that little te- cassette tape, paid for it. Very excited, but I mean, also pick a mix, right? That was the whole point yeah. of that. So I'm not going to go in nice. there and buy some. I think I, I only want to buy pick a mix when there's like an offer on, which is like if you predict the weight, you get it for free. <laughs> Which happened in a service station once when my youth group were going away for their uh, week away and they, uh, someone went and bought a gobstopper, a giant gobstopper. It was £1.79 or something like that. And if you were within three pence, you got to have it for free. So then there was a queue of teenagers <laughs> getting free gobstoppers. <laughs> or if they were like 4p out because there was a slight variation in their size, just being like, actually, I'm all right. <laughs> I bought um, in the Woolworths closing down sale. I think I bought something like two hundred blank CDs. Thinking wow! Because I used to go through quite a lot of blank CDs for some reason, so I bought quite a lot of them. Thinking yeah. this is this is thinking ahead, and I'm pretty certain I've still got a hundred of them stashed <laughs> under the bed. Because I feel like it would be 2008, and I think I bought. 200 blank CDs right at the point where blank CDs were just moving into obsolescence. Yes, it's like buying cryptocurrency at its peak. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's but exactly. I, I love the fact that you just didn't think, oh, actually, do you know what, Woolworths is closing down. Maybe this is a sign that things in general are changing. Maybe yeah. CDs won't be the thing anymore. 
I... You're like, maybe school uniforms won't be needed anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> children are on their way out. Children are always on their way out if people would stop having kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you play Bamboozle on Teletext? Yes. We only good at it? Uh, I don't think so. I think I was too... It was just more just... I was constantly wanting to have... It happens now, right, with podcasts. Like, I can't allow myself, like, a moment where my brain is just allowed to sort of just do its own sort of thinking because then that's that way trouble lies. And so it's always like, let's have a... Are you waking, waking up, are you? Pop on a podcast quickly. Whereas back then it was like, are you having breakfast, are you? Well, do some sort of quiz whilst you're doing that just in case something enters your brain and you and you you act on that mm. especially as a teenager surely i think i must have watched at some like every page of teletext just cycling <laughs> through it going there'll be something there'll be something yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> i think that was when internet sports. was kicking off it was like there was the the gag of like uh oh have you completed the internet yet but i think you could co- complete teletext yeah, you, well, there was a maximum of 900 pages. Yeah. Also, well, there'd be 999 pages, I suppose. So, yeah, presumably you could have a decent uh, a, a decent stab at it. Oh, I didn't realise they, they had, like, a maximum number of pages. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, there was there was three digits, weren't they? That's why 888 was on. Oh, I mean, come on. I, was, I really wasn't thinking. <laughs> I just thought it was an infinite amount. I didn't even consider that they'd run out of numbers. <laughs> Did you ever smuggle a friend or girlfriend's number onto your BT friends and family list? <laughs> no, I was, I'm way too private to even do, do something like that where it, they'd potentially be sort of uncovered at some point in like a Da Vinci Code type conspiracy. <laughs> like back then you'd have to get the long cord and you'd sit at the top of the stairs so you can have a hushed conversation with a, a friend of another gender. Wild times. I'm not going to sneak that on the list. <laughs> Don't want a paper trail. Yeah, because I, I always found that once you put them on the list, that would then ruin the relationship ah. because it was a bit like it was too accepted then, and they were, you know, they were parents approved. Yes. So then suddenly it took the shine off it a bit. A parental approval for you is like. <laughs> Yeah, kryptonite. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I had any say in who our friends and family were on the, on the list, <laughs> or indeed in the wider conversation. Um, <laughs> I'd love a family meeting where you sort of all sit yeah. down and go, right, who are our friends going to be right. this season? Can we can we push Grandad off the list? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because my friend Darren has a Commodore 64. <laughs> I had a Commodore 64. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I, I always thought that was quite quite posh, a Commodore 64. Oh, there we go. I've exposed <laughs> no. myself there. It's but no, that's, posh. no that's, that's great. I always thought they were just quite uh, quite a snazzy bit of bit of kit as a child. Yeah, it felt very exciting playing like Dig Dug and things like that. It was like, oh my God, this is... And again, I look back at that and I think, what a stupid moron of a child thinking that's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know about Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> no, I didn't. Turns out. Did you have a crush on the Cadbury's bunny? Yeah, there was. It was just, uh, the curve, the curviness of the drawing. It felt very fluid. It felt like it could be drawn in one stroke, if I can use such a term. Um, yes. 
it felt like that sort of you know uh, jessica rabbit sort of all of that sort of vibe of like uh 50s femme fatale <laughs> that sort of was sold to us about what women or alluring women are that was the what was sold to us right I'm, I'm just really confused as to who they were targeting. Just like, wondering that. Because it, it was quite... Um, cause, I don't know, because Cadbury's Caramel seemed to be quite a feminine chocolate bar mm. because you had Yorkie for men. So, so people always make a joke that, you know, the Cadbury's Bunny was for the dads. But mm. then the dads weren't really buying the Cadbury's Caramel. It, I, I don't, I'm just so confused by it. Unless you were... They were trying to get mothers or wives to aspire to be the Cadbury's You're saying it was aspirational, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is it's weird. The one, it's the ones, because there was, there was the flake. Mm-hmm. That was probably the super aspirational. Yes, yeah, get in that bath and have a chucky. It always made me really anxious, though, because the Cadbury's flake one, you know, when the bath overflows... Made me yeah. so anxious, like because I didn't, you know, for me as a child, like if you if the bath overflowed, then you were going to get a bollocking from your parents. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't something I really wanted to be involved with. Um. <laughs> it's a twirl. A twirl, I guess, is like a flake with a condom on it. It's sort of like a safe version of the flake. If you don't want any accidents, that's how they should have marketed it. <laughs> It really is. It's yeah. I I think that's... we've sheathed it. <laughs> Were you on the cutting edge at all? My dad liked liked to get that sort of stuff. Um, like he was one of the when, I guess early eighties. He was one of the first people to get a CD player. And that was a big thing for him. So he liked embracing that. He had a beta max sort of tape and things like that. But I think we were held back by money in sort of fully. So we'd have to sort of really in each bit that he invested in had to endure way, way beyond their lifetime. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm because a CD player bought early on. That's fine because CDs stood the test of time. The Betamax, that must have felt like a bit of an albatross after a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd always go on about how it was better than a VHS. Like, yeah, yes, I bet yes, he was. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I cannot watch Mrs. Doubtfire on this <laughs> When What was the... I'm quite intrigued by this. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who actually had a Betamax uh, player. When was the point where you had to have the family meeting and go, we've backed the wrong horse. <laughs> I think we managed to get a hand-me-down on the VHS thing in, like, in like I'd say, like, 94, maybe. Mm. And then, the reason why I think it's 94 is because I do remember a friend, uh, a rich friend had multiple copies of Mrs. Doubtfire on VHS, so I nabbed one. And that's why that's so over... And so I had Mrs. Doubtfire on tape, and that was so exciting to be able to watch that. And then I kept trying to borrow his Jurassic Park because I really wanted to watch it. But we, I didn't go to the cinema before 94. And my parents were anxious about me seeing Jurassic Park. They were very protective over things like that. Actually, my dad, when we got the VHS player and he re, you know, he'd then get into that sort of stuff, he would um, record films that were on TV. But he would pause the recording at any bit that he thought was a little bit too saucy normally violence sort of got got through quite easily but it, so in terminator i didn't know that carl reese was 
John Connor's dad for a long time. Oh. Because that scene has boobs in it. <laughs> that's, re- that's really interesting, though, because it's like, because I had a similar experience with, with Neighbours, actually, because my, my, because I was a big Neighbours fan since the 80s. I mean, since um, Scott and Charlene got married. Mm. And obviously I was in school. So my, what my, my mum would do was not let me watch it at half past five when everyone else would watch it. But she would record the lunchtime episode and then censor any bits in it that she didn't want me to watch. And again, it was usually to do with teenagers becoming sexually active. Mm. Um, I mean, it didn't work. But, <laughs> would you, yeah, but would she, you say that held you back? You just thought, you were, oh, I don't know anything of this world, so I... No, I mean, I, I probably thought I had to fill in the gaps myself. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it's weird that, because I don't know if maybe were TV programs and films in that era starting to become a bit more sexual and for younger audiences compared to what our parents would have been used to. So it was always a bit of a weird ground for them that actually morally they shouldn't be letting us see this thing. But society was starting to accept that maybe we could watch these things. Well... I don't know, but with my dweeby TV history fanboy head on, um, we were born just as Channel 4 kicked off. And I think, to be blunt, Mm. all hell broke loose. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not in Wales. We had S4C. That was Rassus. But in... um, I think Channel 4 probably did try to up the ante. And they used to Mm. do this thing where they'd put a little red triangle in the corner of the screen. um, Or or certainly at the start of the programme to just go... Steady on. Um, yeah. Basically, to tell Stu's dad, get the remote ready, you might have to yeah, press yeah, pause in a bit. <laughs> um, so he was doing this live. I mean, I, I, he's effectively editing a TV program live. Yes, uh, yeah, he quite he, liked that. And often he'd sort of fall asleep maybe near the end, so you just get like, you know, snooker highlights and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, there's something really sweet about that. I think that's really fun. Yeah, if there was a last-minute bang sesh in the film, sort of a third-act bang sesh, you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> that, for me, encapsulates, like, being a dad, fathering. Like, it's be, it's, it's wanting to protect your kids, but you are going to fall asleep at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it was That's nice because he knew I really liked Arnie and liked all of that stuff. And so he was like, right, well, he does, you know, I think this is fine because I think also he was sort of quite a old-fashioned sort of view of masculinity and things like that. And so he was like, well, actually, this is probably the direction I want to be pushing this otherwise quite feminine boy in this more <laughs> masculine direction. So I will allow that, but I will not let him understand that underneath those layers of clothes lie mammary glands. As, as someone, as the only person on this, on this call that has mammary glands, I suddenly mm. feel very exposed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, as, did he do a job then that, kind of had a techie element to it no Is, no um no i don't think he just had it uh, to be honest he did so many jobs he, he wouldn't last longer than like six months in a job partly out of his own 
lack of desire to keep doing the job but um i'm not entirely sure i think he just had an enthusiasm for that sort of tech stuff and being at the forefront of those things so you know Mm. he had like a numbered white album by the beatles that on cd Mm. and things like that so he'd be like ear to the ground i found out there's this new technology coming but it, (laughs) it, it i think later on it did mean that he wanted to get the internet and things like that but it meant that we had to then endure a pentium 166 for uh for a long 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 time way beyond when one of those could run things effectively yeah. and we were on 33.6 kbps speed internet for a lot lot you know my friends were on broadband and i was still you know loading up a jpeg <laughs> or a bitmap i mean I've, I've heard you mentioned before that your your fam as a family you had a camcorder mm. so considering what you do now i mean did did that kind of ignite some kind of interest in you in filming and directing and yeah i guess so and i definitely would then i would borrow that and would try out all of the different options and various effects and things that you could do and that was obviously before you could just go on the internet and sort of research like what can this thing you know look at a tutorial for for things like that the same with computer games if you wanted to complete a computer game yet and you couldn't get past a level you had to buy a magazine to to find out how to get past <laughs> that level um so and i when i was 17 or 18 i'd sort of been saving up for a couple of years from like paper rounds into cleaning at school um and then had convinced my parents to lend me a little bit extra money to buy a digital camcorder and that was like an exciting moment where it was like you can edit this on your computer you don't have to set up a vhs and press pause and do what my dad had been doing with the terminator but yeah. for your own films <laughs> <laughs> and you can do digital graphics and text and things like that that was incredibly exciting so yeah i guess i have been with tech of being like right yeah let's get on this let's do what we can um mm. and the same with like when we all had to move to zoom i was like immediately like okay this is not something i've sort of experienced weirdly so let's work out what the limits and what you can do with this are mm. so were you doing like as a as a kid with a video camera in the house were you doing fun stuff with the video camera? Were you were you yeah, making yeah, sketches yeah. and stuff? Making sketches, uh, you know, by making fake blood and doing sort of, you know, jumping off the top of the the shed and <laughs> cutting it together with me hitting down on a different angle and it, my my head bleeding. <laughs> you know, this is honestly, this is worryingly similar to something I did as a kid. Yeah, my brother, me, my. My dad was a teacher, and we found out that he could sign out the video camera for a weekend for, like, school use. Yes. And uh, we made a parody of 999, which involved my brother running into a wall. And he was exactly <laughs> that sort of... <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, this, this... Yeah, great fun. Sounds brilliant. Does it, it make- have you watched it recently? Does it stand up? Um, I do have some of... Like, when I got the digital camcorder... I would just film absolutely everything. I do have that on like a CD or something somewhere. Or um, I hope I should probably transfer that to a uh, to a cloud-based storage device. <laughs> um, but it would be like you know, like my friend could drive, so we'd find a massive puddle and then we'd go and film him driving through that from loads of different angles and put like <laughs> feeder music over it and things like that. 
and it would just be absolutely everything got filmed and then you know about half of it got edited into something ridiculous yeah. going to chessington with a group of friends became like a 15 20 minute long video that i would cut together and i just think what what was wrong i know what's wrong with me but <laughs> why didn't someone step in I'm just really envious because you both talk about like all the stuff that you got to video, but then my dad got one um, when I was eight, so that would have been 1989. So it was pretty early on. Hmm. Um, And again, you know, we we didn't have loads of money, so if and to uh, to the point where actually I think about it now, and I can't believe my mum let him buy it. (laughs) Like it must have cost him quite a lot of money. Um, but the problem was when he bought it, people found out and then he became the cameraman for all the nativity plays and the Christmas plays in school. So then it became like this massive, big, <laughs> stressful thing for him. So we were never allowed to use it. It was, you know, so he had to keep it just for that. And it was, so yeah. So I, the the first time I got to use it was when he bought a new one. And I was off to university in 1999 and I took it to uni with me and I filmed one drunken 24 hours and that was it. And do you have the tapes? (laughs) I do have the tapes. (laughs) Was it a high eight? Or was it, oh no, 1989, it wouldn't, what would that have been? It would have been a VHS camcorder. Yeah, so it was one of those ones where you had like the skeleton of a VHS tape and then you put a tiny little cassette inside that to play uh, it yes yeah 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 Yeah. so VHSC, yeah so, maybe yeah maybe but then i guess taking that to uni was seen as quite a big deal because no one really had mobile phones then so yeah. actually it was still a little bit cool but i i don't know by that point i was just too old to care <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit cool to be walking in with sort of what now looks like an, an absolutely enormous camera yeah. it's like you're yeah. You've just come from like a BBC nature doc. <laughs> yeah. Who wants who wants some apple sours? <laughs> Pretty much. So looking back at uh, at having that kit as a kid to play with, how important was that in terms of what you do now? Because that must have set you on the path, surely. So I formed my company, which is a production company, when I was 18 with uh, a friend from school. And we were basically two people who had digital camcorders and sort of knew each other a little bit, but were like suddenly like, oh, well, I guess now we're best friends. And <laughs> that's that sort of... Um, we we both, you know, had mucked about with our parents' camcorders as, as youngsters, but we've, we've always talked about how we were 18 years old and we started a business and there's a certain level of privilege you have to have to be able to have the confidence to do that. And then the means to, to mm. you know, have that. And so we had that privilege of our parents being able to afford a camcorder and us to be able to explore that interest in a way that you know, maybe lots of people wouldn't be able to do. Now, obviously, the, the entry to, to it has changed in that phones are so much, you know, there's so much you can just do with a phone. Um, but having that at a young age and being able to do all of that and then this is a a zenial thing i guess is that we managed to then make lots of short films and comedy things that didn't then get put on youtube didn't you know get exposed to the wider world they just got shown to our friends and our friends were like oh that's really cool because you know there's nobody else they knew doing stuff like that so we got to make 
and experiment with things without the glare of the world on us, mm -hmm. which meant that, you know, by the time that we actually were good enough to actually be doing it professionally, we'd, we'd made those mistakes that people hadn't seen, which I think is lucky. And I think that is a, a privilege in itself. And I think it's something that a lot of people now, you know, will make stuff, put it online and it will sort of haunt, haunt them as like this bad thing that had been made and maybe you know they'll get a few comments or things like that and it will bully them out of wanting to do it as a future career so i think we were really in that sort of sweet spot where the technology allowed us access but it also uh didn't allow uh, the wider world to see it so much so we were just sort of getting that praise from a, a small select group yeah giving us the confidence to keep going so this company that you set up at eighteen, like, yeah. what's what what, like, so how how did that work? Almost was it, um, were you doing other jobs and then like using it to fund this thing, or was it like were you getting commissions from people? How did it? So we got a it? job offer from an ex head teacher who was like a teacher now at a primary school, and he wanted to sort of make a short short film with the kids, someone to, to come in and sort of do it, and business partner al's dad was like well why don't you just do it as a business and wow. you know we'll help you with that and my mum was like good at writing like business plans and things like that from her job and so we then when we got that job and we were like yeah we're doing that we were like right well let's do it properly so we were you know they gave us they sat us down and talked us through what we needed to do we need to do this business plan we need to get a bank loan to sort of buy proper equipment and so we got this loan for like four and a half thousand pounds maybe and we then operated out of a spare bedroom in in Al's house. His brother had gone off to university, and so we co-opted that. Um, and we started from there. And it was yeah, we then started to pitch for work, but it was like always just like through friends or family that it was some sort of connection. And I think basically, again, they're the privilege thing. We were seen as sort of plucky. Uh, exciting, like, why, yeah, go for it, sort of couple of lads that, uh, and we weren't sort of view. I imagine we'd lost a few jobs because of that, but like we were largely viewed as like, this is great entrepreneurial spirit, good on you sort of thing. It is very entrepreneurial. I like this. I, I'm sort of fascinated by this because it wouldn't Oh, it's stupidity mainly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a confidence of youth of like, yeah, we can do this and sort of thinking everything you made was amazing, but it was not. Well, cause, but, yeah, because yeah, I was thinking like when I was 18, I was an absolute mess. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I went to university for some structure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in awe of it, like genuinely. And not, and not just the fact that you did it, but the fact that your parents enabled it as well. So so again, I don't think my parents, if, if that thought had even entered their minds that maybe they should encourage me to start a business at 18, back in 1999, they would have quickly forgotten it, locked it away and never spoken <laughs> about it again. <laughs> yeah, I think my, I, I was due to be like the first to go to university from my sort of side of family. And so they were quite excited about that. And so the, I knew that I had to sort of sit them down and give them a proper explanation of what we were going to do. And basically that was my cue to sort of make it sound way more official and way more certain. And it was like, this is how you know the film industry works. And like going to university is not going to actually help me. It's going to be like a three-year uh, dead zone where maybe I'll learn a few things. Maybe I'll make some friends, but it won't 
this is our way of getting into it early and we're going to do this and we're going to reinvest and we're going to and luckily my stupid thick parents believed me (laughs) (laughs) and then supported us from then on out you know including you know times when we did have to you know i did have another job which sort of sort of paid we didn't take a wage from it until we were like 24 which again is another privilege and we got to stay we were supporting that we were allowed to stay at home um you know i didn't move out until i was 24 um and you know paid rent but you know my mum did that cheeky thing of putting it in an account and then being like oh your your company's about to fold is it well luckily you've been paying into this account for the last couple of years this should help keep you alive for a little bit longer (laughs) was there anything in i'm sort of fascinated by this thing about having the gumption to go oh i know what i'm doing here was there anything in school that helped you with no my school was was trash man (laughs) stupid fucking grammar school cancel grammar schools so there was there there wasn't any um no we were the only two people to not go to university from that school and my i didn't know i wasn't going to go until after school was finished but Al did know, and he, whenever we, were, it was like, do your UCAS form session, he would just sit there, just sort of like staring into space, and his teachers would have a go at him for not taking his life seriously, and he'd get into huge arguments with them, where he'd call them fucking idiots. And uh, it was very much a school that was like, you, we train you to pass a test, and once you do that, you can go off and become an accountant or a lawyer or all of that stuff. So they didn't really know what to do with us, and we, you know. I was a very, I was a good boy at school until about year 10 when I realised I didn't really like anything there and I didn't like the school and I just stopped trying. But and luckily, years eight and nine saw me through and that I was viewed as a good boy for the rest of the time, even though I did <laughs> not. Built up work. all the goodwill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just a good boy, so this is just a weird, Probably Al got more of the, uh, the, stick from the teacher they're like oh you've led you've led this poor good boy astray <laughs> i mean because they, they i i do think that the with senials there was this expectation that you were kind of on this conveyor belt of mm. education and that then that would lead to good jobs and you know because with with other guests we've talked a bit about growing up in the Thatcher era and capitalism and all this business and and where education was obviously important but it was it was a gateway to getting money <laughs> getting more money and buying yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff so then so then that's kind of how you were being pushed then through that system in school so so I am always impressed with anyone who's managed to break away from that because <laughs> I never did <laughs> it is definitely there does seem to be that definite like our the generation before I I remember when I was younger that they were discussed as like when they started having kids they were way too soft on them because they if you were born in the 70s your you weren't there wasn't like a proper education or like discipline sort of thing and it was like like almost the 80s was a bounce back to a slightly older time of like a bit more formality to how you were brought up and maybe mm. that did lead to that sort of drive to be a bit more establishment. Yeah, because you, you did millennial quite establishment. 
I think so, because they were so much more entwined with the the kind of the Labour government's ideal mm. of education, education, education. Was it, but, but again, it's this it's this element that you didn't cave when kind of the enormity that you were going to be the first person in your family to go to university. You didn't mm. even think, oh, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should be the one, the, the one that breaks that Yeah, but I'm ground. a stubborn little bitch. Right. <laughs> 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 because I think for me, um, I don't know about you, Gareth, but um, so my granddad was the first from his family to to not go down the coal mine and he went to university. So he put so much weight on it that my mother had to go to university and then I felt that weight as well. So even if I'd wanted to do something else, I don't know if I could have because I felt like, well, my granddad didn't not go down the mine for me to suddenly just piss about for a bit and and I'm not saying that you pissed about because you obviously didn't you had a plan but that's that kind of you were it felt like you're in that kind of hangover with the Xenial generation of more people going to university but you might still you're either the first one still to go or you have the responsibility of carrying on that legacy somehow I think I had a bit of an attitude of this is the this is the system um, yeah. And also, I think I'm. I wasn't a massive fan of school until I got to year ten. I was the opposite of you, Stu. I wasn't particularly fan of school until you got to year ten. And I remember going, oh, "Exams? Oh, there's now a reason for us to turn up." <laughs> like I, sort, right. yeah, I yeah. sort of felt like, "Oh, right. This is this. Prior to this, we've, <laughs> we've just been coming in for." No reason. <laughs> and then actually, when there's like, oh, and then at the end of this, there's like a sort of a finish line. I can get my head around this a little bit more. So I remember, I remember in year ten, eleven, at least going well. Well, at least we're all, at least we're all get going. So at least we're we're here for something. <laughs> I like the idea that in like films, when it gets to like um, the second act closer, third act opener, you're like, ah, that's why yeah. we're here. I think it was. <laughs> Yes, I think it was like that. I think there was... And I, I even remember, I think my mum said that she had the same thing, that when she got to, like, near her O-levels, she was like, oh, okay, right, we're all here for a reason. Good, yeah. good. That's... This is now very different to whatever the hell year eight was. Um, like, we're colouring in a thing? Hmm? Um, just, so, it's just um, so funny, though, because by sounding as if you're conforming, you're actually going against kind of statistically during that period is when a lot of kids drop out and leave school. But actually, you are going completely against that. Like, no, I'm embracing this fully now. <laughs> I think that from the from my perspective, the re- reason why it didn't seem like a big thing to not go was that from like the age of like 11, 12, I remember having discussions with my mum about like how I didn't like school and I didn't like going and you know wanted I wanted to leave by 16 I was like I knew that was the earliest you can leave and I was excited about that and then they managed to persuade me to stay for sixth form and so Mm -hmm. university I viewed as like a three-year gap where I wouldn't be able to do fully the thing I wanted to do Mm. yeah and so it was just like a it was a stop gap that I was I didn't view it as like a legit thing that was like good and building towards a thing i just viewed it as like oh this is three-year thing that people do and i'm just i think actually i had a gap year because i was like right well i don't really want to do it so let's just have a year before i have to go and do this thing 
Um, so it was an easier decision to then be like, oh, great, I don't have to do it. Yes. And I'm, yes. Gonna str- I'm, I'm making films already. Perfect. You're away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in the years that this business has been operational then Mm. have you ever had um a feeling at any point that you've been faking it it's constant i think i think it's constant and no matter what you do there's a new thing that and i think that we where you feel out of your depth but you go right well what have i done before how how is this different is this um am i am i gonna fuck this up and i feel like the entire industry is built on (laughs) people being better than other people at faking that they know what they're doing. Mm. I think that's that's all. And if you're good and confident at it, then you will get away with it. You need to have a base level of knowledge and how to do things. But I, I don't think there's anyone in this industry that I would trust who isn't going into a job feeling a little bit anxious about like <laughs> whether they will take the lens cap off or... <laughs> <laughs> you know record at the right uh audio rate or anything like that you know i think there's i would be suspicious of someone who walked in and was like yeah yeah i know what i'm not what i'm doing yeah listen to me do this do that we have we do a lot of stand-up specials where you know lots of things can go wrong because you're filming a live event and so there's you know you can't be like right cut let's go again on that you have to sort of react in the moment and you know a huge part of stand-up specials is what's happening in the room and like the audience feeling comfortable and the performer feeling comfortable so you can't be like stop starting things because it changes the dynamic and it's better to sort of you know lose a camera for 10 minutes than it is to stop everything and restart so we have a big document of things that have gone wrong and then how we fix them and we'll keep adding to that so it's just like right we know before we do everything these are the things that can go wrong we'll check on this we'll check on that and it's you know when you're dealing with technology and people and live events, then so much stuff can go wrong and will go wrong. And I guess part of it is feeling confident that you can solve problems when they arise more mm. than not having problems happen. Is is there anything do you think that's um, characteristically zenial or as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like in your formative years, is there anything about those eras that you think put you in good stead for all of this i think becoming adult in sort of like 2002 time but sort of having growing up in that holiday from history that's sort of discussed between between two 9-11s um the berlin wall on the 9th of november and the other one um things were easier right in terms of than than they had been for a long time if you were if you were growing up in a western country and you know my family went from being sort of pretty poor to being sort of fairly comfortably middle class thanks to buying a house in an area that went insane mm. um so all of those things tied in and it became it, 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 i think it almost definitely gave me the confidence to sort of strike out and do that um you know my business partner al also i'd say he was more sort of confident in his abilities it was what it seemed like to me so that that helped um i think the technology thing is just a huge thing to be in that position to to not have your life up on line to be able to make mistakes but also to have technology good enough 
to make things close to what you imagined in your brain and looks mm. close enough to a Hollywood movie or a TV show that you're like, oh my God, I made this. Mm -hmm. And then only have friends see it is something that was huge, I think, in terms of giving you the confidence to, to do it. Um, and, and yeah, to, to not feel that sort of family pressure to go to university because it was like essential for you and your generation to drag the family into new wealth or anything mm. like that, it, you know, I think is a privilege that hopefully I've taken some advantage of. Um, I've got to ask, given you've got video cameras in your house when you were that young, did you ever make 250 quid and you've been framed? Always thought about it. <laughs> and my dad was always, my dad was always looking for easy money wherever yeah. he could. And we never had anything that actually worked oh. for it. Did you ever send anything? Did you ever? We always talked about faking well, I'm one. Sure every, I'm sure everyone who had a video camera thought about faking one because we ne we never had a video camera like yeah. permanently in the house. It was always borrowed. But I bet if we'd had one for any length of time, I'd have been spilling soup everywhere. <laughs> I think spilling soup. Well, <laughs> spilling sort of soup. Happen, wasn't it? No, do you know what? It was cakes, wasn't it? It was cakes that seemed to go over. And, it's usually cake. Yeah. Yeah, cake. A little. I like. I liked. Um. I liked an uh, an older lady sort of doing that sudden rapid foot movement as they're losing <laughs> as they're losing their balance holding a massive yeah, cake it's amazing we spun that out to so many series uh, every guest we ask them to bring with them an item that they'd like to put into the zenial dome Stuart, what have you brought with you got an mp3 cd I'm not even sure I know yeah. what this is because I thought MP3s and CDs were completely separate things. So you would create a data CD and you'd have there for 700 megabytes, was it? I think. Yeah, 650, I think, and then 700. I think bought one yeah. of the posh ones I don't, that went right to the edge. I don't really know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so instead of just like 12 tracks, you could fit on... Well, uh, you could have an MP3 of a song probably between three and five megabytes. And so you extrapolate that out. You do I the mean, work. I mean, still, I mean, <laughs> as someone who's not techie. You got 200 songs. Oh, right, songs. okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> okay. 200 songs on one CD. And so I had, a, I had a car, actually, two cars that had data CD players. Um, but in the early days when, you know, the MP3 uh, player came in and they were huge, I didn't have them at first. Uh, I had a CD player that played data CDs. So that meant you could scroll through and you'd go, it would be divided up into directories. So you could have a whole album in one directory and then one in another. And if you arranged your file system correctly, mm, <laughs> perfect, perfect listening experience. Sharing, sharing an earphone with someone that you quite fancied. <laughs> listening to Texas's <laughs> latest album. And how do you feel about your part in the collapse of the music industry? <laughs> I mean, they had it coming. The re record labels are one of the 20th century's great evils, I think. Yeah. And there's a lot to pick from in the 20th century. <laughs> well, for a start, they brought us the third 9-11, 9-1-1, the boy band. <laughs> About that, all those nine eleven happening. So, what were the songs then? Out of the two hundred songs, what what were you into at the time? Well, I think probably around that time was when it started started getting a bit more emo. 
Um, and also that it's, I can't remember what the service I used. It wasn't like LimeWire or Napster. I think it was something else. I can't remember, but where you would just be able to download all sorts of songs. So I definitely contributed there. So is that what you were doing? You would be downloading them from? Because uh, to be honest, I, we never had an internet connection fast enough to deal with Napster. I think I remember downloading like a one-minute sketch of something and going, oh, never again. <laughs> I think what happened was in 2002, my mum, dad and sister went on a around-the-world trip and I didn't want to go because I sort of had had a... I, I found it quite intense. They, they'd always want to do like five-week journeys and the whole thing... Yeah, would be like years of saving up and then it also brackets turned out that my dad would just put a lot of it on credit card and then <laughs> never ever paid it back right. <laughs> so in a way he did have the last laugh well done <laughs> um, they never found him <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it does it did actually I went on another one which was sort of was like just before they broke up a couple of years later which was like, oh, yeah, well, this is definitely that there's a divorce in the air. Uh, but anytime you put something on a credit card, at the time I didn't know that it was going on this ever surmounting debt. But so in hindsight, I'm looking at him paying for a meal, and like you're like, well, that's, this is absolutely insane what you're doing right now. Um, but they came back from that first one, and they had these MP3 CD players. I, they must have mm. bought them somewhere. Um, around that journey and my dad had been like yeah new technology right pop it on the credit card i'll die before they get me to pay it back because they would have been quite an expensive item i presume i imagine like he would be it would have been in like that like 80 to 200 pounds sort of it's weird that i've gone very specific with 80 and then just generically i think 80 to 160 pounds i absolutely bought it (laughs) Yeah. yeah that makes sense but then what was great was that I had that then for like five, six years until I got an, an iPod in like, yeah, 2008 or something like that. Um, but I would um, have all the CDs that I bought, you could then convert, you'd find a program to convert them onto your computer mm-hmm. and then load them onto this data CD. So you had all your albums that you bought plus then any of these extra things. But then when we did do that around the world trip, the um, the, the, the the divorce tour um <laughs> the divorce tour 07 08 um no 06 the divorce tour 06 um it meant that uh basically it was going to be five weeks and i had said yeah i'll come on this one but it can it should can it only be like three weeks because i knew i couldn't really sort of hmm. i found that quite intense that but then it was my dad yeah it's five weeks oh okay well it's all we pay for now i've got to go on this and my friend knew that i was anxious about this so he loaded up loads of podcasts onto data cds so i had like before you know mp3 things and streaming was a thing a load of podcasts that he knew that i could then just listen to in the back of the car or whatever to sort of have an escape for a while and that was great that was a really good thing because, yeah, the volume of stuff you could suddenly cart around was changed from being the Walkman when it was like a cassette or a CD on a Discman to suddenly pretty much your entire music collection yeah. or whatever. You were suddenly able to, like, pop in your pocket. Absolutely huge. And for that, you know, to take, like, five little CDs with you rather than sort of in the old days where you'd have to either, yeah, all the tapes or you'd have to have, like, ten... Yeah. You have to buy a wallet so that you could, before you leave, transfer all your CDs that you wanted to potentially listen to into that, plus 
your books that you've just that you're going to yeah. take with you and just show the world but not read <laughs> uh. one thing i wanted to go back to um that you mentioned because um mm. i had completely forgotten that emotionally charged moment of sharing a headphone with someone that you really yeah. fancied and you're not even touching them like you you're probably just no. sitting a little bit apart but there's something happening by sharing headphones with someone it is so full of I don't, I don't know like when you mentioned it I recalled so many moments like that like when you go to the cinema with someone on a date when you're like 13 14 <laughs> And you you Never don't touch at <laughs> and you don't touch at all. But this there's, there's just tension there. And it's a You mean seventeen. <laughs> I mean there was nothing else to do in Aberystwyth. So. <laughs> yeah, I had a camcorder. I had a camcorder and championship manager too. I did not I did not need to worry myself with the wants of man. <laughs> I was getting Cambridge United to the Champions League, baby. Um, thing of you know, but yeah, that, did you do that, that? moment? Is yeah, crazy. but did, did you know? Do you remember yeah. moments like that where because because music is such a personal thing? I think back in the eighties, early nineties, where it wasn't that easy to share music with other people, and uh, unless you did it physically, it was like sharing a part of your soul with someone. And also, that it felt like there was a lot more like, well, maybe there is. Um, and I you know, just have no idea what the what the kids are up to anymore. But like um, this sort of community around certain songs, and so I went to a Christian youth group, and uh, there was like Sixpence None the Richer, uh, Semisonic, Closing Time, like songs like that were like these like community things that everyone was like absolutely adored. And occasionally, you know, they, that when that came on at a, a house party or something like that it would be or like someone would go to the piano and someone someone's learned how to play closing time on the piano <laughs> they're getting their dick sucked tonight no they weren't because it was christian christian youth group completely wasted <laughs> completely wasted. they're getting their future blessed tonight <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it was genuinely extremely sort of a non-sexual group where so occasionally like some people would have, have like a very platonic relationship for a little bit, maybe some very light kissing, and that was it. <laughs> uh, but it was just like this group of people with no genitals and no sexual urges or like such suppressed sexual urges that we just listened to sixpence none the richer across <laughs> earphones while sitting on a minibus driving to sort of Dartmouth or something like that and you'd be like oh my god I think this is I think I'm going to marry this person I think as well one headphone is such a rubbish way to listen to music like the like yeah. because yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. else is going on you're getting all the other ambient noise of whatever it what it would be and as well because yeah. of um modern musicians love of stereo there'd be a real element of no 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 you actually you need to listen on this one yeah i imagine you're talking about the who there and uh, teenage wasteland 
Bang, 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 bang. I love, I love how like I get this impression with you, Gareth. That like even if you really fancied a girl, you just you just couldn't do that because she wouldn't be getting the full stereo sound. You just couldn't do that. Yeah, it wouldn't sound proper. <laughs> okay, I'll listen to it, and then you listen to it, and then we shall discuss the aural experience. <laughs> oh. oh man, <laughs> I mean, think thinking about like the the mp3 cd is there anything from that era kind of your your formative te- teenage years that you would like to see the resurgence of what i would like is everyone have a little square bulky tv in their room and that'd be the biggest with a combined with a vhs player within it <laughs> and, a, and a row of vhs's that you think are really good uh, and then a couple which are a little bit naughty, the sort of wild things on an American VHS that you've ferreted away so that your father shouldn't see it, even though he was concerned um, that you might be homosexual because of the posters of men on your wall wearing football kits. Mm-mm. I think your gay panic there, Dad, has <laughs> really gone off in the wrong direction. I, I do not fancy Matthew Letizier. <laughs> I don't think anyone fancies Matthew Letizier. A teenage boy exploring his sexuality is not like, fucking hell, Letizier. Fucking hell. <laughs> Volley this one in off the post, would you? <laughs> Imagine having a sexual awakening to Matt Letizia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could. Well, actually, I know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a um, uh, anti-lockdown crank. Um, so, uh, so, but I'm sure he could make a nice husband <laughs> to to anyone uh, if you had similar views. But I don't think if you're a teenage boy uh, or, or, or girl. Uh, uh, you're not having a, a sexual awakening to this video. <laughs> There's something amazing about that that free kick. Sure, that gets you excited. I can't believe you did that. But <laughs> you're not getting a frog on. I, I love how how confusing kind of the messages are that you're getting from your dad. Like, no, you, you can't see mm. a woman and dress in a film. And then... <laughs> Please don't put these men on your wall. <laughs> yeah, he's a confused man. He, you know, he was born in the late forties, and uh, he was the only um, the only boy of. He had seven sisters. Okay. Um, and I th- I like to think that's why I support Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> now you have to need to know sort of a bit about London geography to know about seven sisters and, and Tottenham, but. <laughs> In future, when anyone asks, why do you support Tottenham? I'm not going to be like, um, I think because <laughs> yeah. they won the FA Cup around the time when I was getting into football and they had Gazza and Gary Lineker and they had like, the same kit as England and it all felt like right and they were near-ish. Seven sisters, that's a better story. So what we'll do, we're going to end with some quick-fire questions. Great. But the trick is to not overthink these. We just sure. want gut reactions. Yep. Lego or stickle bricks? Lego. Blur Oasis. Oasis. VHS or Betamax? <laughs> yeah, I've got to stay true to Betamax. <laughs> w. Smiths or Woolworths? Uh, Woolworths, yes. Woolworths or John Menzies? 
<laughs> what was <laughs> Commodore 64 or Amiga? Yeah, yeah it's a Commodore 64. Just because that's what I ended up yeah. with. <laughs> I did have an Amstrad as well, and that was wild. Oh, that that's what I had. Loved the Amstrad. Yeah. Loved it. Well, maybe that's Spurs as well. <laughs> Lamborghini Countach or Porsche Testarossa? Uh, I think it's the Countach, but I actually like the Dodge Viper the most. Oh. Generation game or Gladiators? Gladiators. Spice Girls with Jerry or Spice Girls without Jerry? With Jerry, obviously. <laughs> she had boobs. <laughs> Enormous boobs. I was 12. <laughs> I couldn't believe they existed. My dad had denied them from me. Um, that's everything. Thank you very much. I feel like we've learned a lot. That's everything to say after, after. That's everything. You know what, Stuart? You are everything. <laughs> That was Stuart Law's uh, comedy writer, stand-up, producer, director. He does it all. He's like he a sort of what quadruple threat. He's he's a he's, he's, he's a jack Cal of all Ke- trades. Cal Kennedy of the comedy world. Is that that's a reference to something in Neighbours, isn't it? Yeah, that Cal Kennedy is the doctor, and basically he does everything. Like he can do um, hypnotism. He, he he's basically the only doctor in Ramsey Street. So Stuart Law's is that. <laughs> And um, thank you so much to Stuart for doing the show. That was absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed having him on. And if you're a fan of Stuart, or if you are now a fan of Stuart, having been introduced to him and his zenial ways, uh, you can see him live, can't you, in London? Yes. So he's doing a run at the Soho Theatre from the 19th to the 20th of November. Okay. Um, Shall we discuss stuff we've got coming in? On texts and e- not texts. This isn't a radio show. On oh for God, no. So far away from texts. On email, MySpace, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are the ways. We actually have one follower on MySpace. Do I'm, we? Yes. I'm Let's really excited. <laughs> Gareth's going straight online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Very excited about it. MySpace.com. They're just following. They haven't engaged yet. I think it's like baby steps. (laughs) But I'm very excited about it. I don't know why. I mean, I believe you. I completely believe you. (laughs) Hey, no, we don't have. We don't have one follower. Oh no! Don't toy with me. No, we've got two followers on MySpace. Shut up. Yeah, (gasps) two followers on MySpace, which is. I think that's probably the the. I I imagine when if there's a MySpace chart based on the number of. number of people joining in we're doing pretty well but I, I i need to log in to see if anyone's tried to actually say something to us that is um, unprecedented <laughs> absolutely wild wow okay so if you want to join the fastest growing myspace page in europe head to the zenial dome on myspace um and you can also contact us on all the other ways i said instagram yeah. twitter facebook email myspace um so what have people been saying on the platforms that aren't dead <laughs> People are being lovely, um, but but being too oh. lovely and not actually suggesting anything. So that's no good to us. I mean, yeah, it's it's nice to be nice, but you know, tell us what you thought of Betty Boo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't slag off the nice people. This isn't Twitter. I know. <laughs> I know. I've adapted my my way of thinking so quickly from from being a nice zenial to suddenly being a really angry. 
Gen X. <laughs> yeah, so we had I we had a message on Twitter from Matthew Fletcher Jones, and he was commenting basically on Nish's decision when we did the quick fire round in the first episode, um, when he had to choose between uh, Bill and Ted and Wayne's World, and Matthew agrees with Nish and says that Bill and Ted should always go ahead of Wayne's World. See, I'd go Wayne's World, but I think this entirely comes down to which one you had on VHS growing up, because we'd taped Wayne's World off the telly, so I've seen Wayne's World loads of times. Whereas I saw Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in the cinema for someone's birthday. Right. And I don't think I've engaged much with the Bill and Ted machine since. Did you have anything you wanted to share this week? Um... Yeah, I do. I've got I've got a couple of messages. And also I'm trying to decide whether to mention this. Yeah, I will. Have you watched um the Blair and Brown documentary on BBC Two yet? No. Ah. It's like a five hour documentary designed for people who like this podcast. <gasps> Is <laughs> because, it? Well, it's the story of Blair and Brown start to finish. Yeah. Um I say start to finish. What happens is, is that whoever's... It's great. I really enjoyed it. But there's definitely an element of we start with Blair and Brown becoming friends in the 80s and then we sort of work all the way through it. I have a slight feeling that they got to episode five and then went, oh, there's a lot of this still to go. We're going to have to really ramp up the pace for the last one. But I suppose that's possible because it's just... I mean, the fact that they didn't do the whole bigot gate incident in the oh, final episode no it made me think oh they must have really had to put a blinking Gosh, rocket okay. up the final episode yeah. but um oh i mean if you want if you want 90s footage in the old aspect ratio then get involved it's um it's really great <laughs> and yeah if anyone else is enjoying it drops a line to the zenial dome at hotmail.com i want other people to see it so that i can why do i need people to see it to talk about it we literally lived through it all we did um, live through it. But then it's funny the stuff that you probably blank out. And as and as a young person as well as a, as a teenager or something, I mean, I would watch the news, but then I had other more important things going on, like what was going on with my fringe and, you know, <laughs> all that well, business. Well, I would say that they give roughly the same amount of time to what's going on with your fringe as they do to Welsh devolution. So... <laughs> wow. Like it, they they really in five episodes you they really have to crack on, um, and so I think devolution gets a sentence and Scottish devolution is kind of like whoop that's that's wow. gone which is fair enough because they've also got like Northern Ireland and they've got Iraq and they've got um, like there's there's you know there's a lot happening yeah and it doesn't really matter because the the Welsh government now is pretty established and I have grown my fringe out so yeah so. Uh, 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 <laughs> Happy ending all round. <laughs> so, in summation, um, Stuart Laws is at the Soho Theatre on the 19th and 20th of November. There's a five-part documentary series by Blair and Brown, which is great, on BBC Two and iPlayer. And if you have any songs to send us for our MySpace page, then let us know. The Zenial Dome at Hotmail.com and all the other ways to get in touch. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MySpace. Oh, there is one last thing. We said during the Jess Foster episode that, because I talked about Wonder Bunny, which was the mascot created by my dentist, 
to encourage children to keep their teeth clean. And I said I would try and draw under Bunny and put it on the Twitter account. At the time of recording, I have not yet done that. But today, I have drawn Wonder Bunny. Now, this is this is not an official Wonder Bunny drawing. This is from my memory. This, is it this one is of a... those, you know, on ice cream vans yeah. where you get people who have painted like what they think Mickey Mouse looks like and it looks nothing like Mickey Mouse? Yeah. Is that what and all, this is going to be? That, that is exactly what this is. But also, you've got to remember that Wonder Bunny would be a, a teeth-based um, <laughs> superhero would be the worst thing to put on the side of a ice cream bag. Or the best thing. I don't know. Um, but this is my... I think this isn't a bad go at Wonder Bunny. I genuinely... I'm, I wouldn't say I'm proud of it, but I think it's a decent representation. Oh God, it's I like just a courtroom artist who's oh gone, God. that'll do. So that is what Wonder Bunny looked like. <laughs> okay, we're going to put this up on the socials. So can... Is he wearing boxing gloves? I think so. He definitely had his fists up. That's they, what I remember. bloodied hands? Oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have done them red. Maybe I should have just have kept them grey. I had the red pen because I'd just done the little bit in his ears. Um, but it's one bit. The bit that used to freak me out that I couldn't work out is that I, I remember that he didn't have eyes. And I think it's because his... His head is pointed up, and so you just see his teeth. Uh, his teeth were basically the big deal. Like it's yeah. it's big teeth, ears, hands raised aloft, superhero yeah. cape. That's Wonder Bunny. Next week's episode. Do we know who it's going to be? It is the wonderful stand-up and writer Athena Kublenyu. Yes. Oh, and it's great. It it's is really great. great. We've we yeah. already yeah yeah yeah. That's brilliant. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>